Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. gospel lesson is from the gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Listen for the word of God. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.' His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Think of someone or some group of people that you consider to be an enemy. If you're having trouble with that, because we don't like to think that we really have enemies, then think of a group of people or a community, a place, a country, that would make you very uncomfortable were you to go pay a visit or just travel through? Where would you definitely not want to go? Who would you really not want to encounter? Someone or people you have very strong feelings about. If we're honest with ourselves, I am sure that every one of us can come up with someone or something or some place. Now I want you to imagine going to that place on purpose to seek out someone who is an enemy. Or if that's, someone, some, if that's too strong for you, someone you would never deliberately seek out. Someone you really don't agree with or approve of or someone even who scares you but you need to go there because you have something that you are compelled to take them, to share with them, something they really need. Now for me, this gets political, and that should surprise no one who knows me. For me, right now, it would mean going into the midst of a community where everyone wears a certain red cap, open carries, denies election results, and might even be plotting to overthrow the government. Now, if you happen to find that offensive, then you can turn the tables and imagine that you are coming to seek me out. Take a moment with whatever your imagination has conjured. Feel what it would be like to go into that place to seek out and sit down with someone you feel strongly about. You aren't going there to condone behavior or beliefs that you feel are wrong, maybe even evil. You are going there to give them something they really need. They might not want it. They might not understand it. They might want to drive you away or even worse but you are going anyway. Of course, I'm asking you to imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes or sandals, because that is what Jesus does in this story about his encounter with the Samaritan woman. As one commentator writes, the setting of this narrative in Samaria is a scandal that may have lost its force for modern readers but would have been noted by first-century readers. The enmity between Samaritans and Jews is not something we can really identify with. Hence this exercise in imagination, 
to understand just how scandalous, unheard of, and risky Jesus' actions are here. The rift between Samaritans and Jews dated back to the Assyrian overthrow of the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Samaria. The Samaritans mixed with the Assyrians who occupied the land and set up a shrine on Mount Gerizim that they considered to be the proper place of worship rather than the temple in Jerusalem. The enmity was intense and the two peoples did not mingle or have anything to do with each other, even though they had shared roots in the faith. Jesus and the disciples are traveling from Jerusalem in the south to Galilee in the north. The shortest route would take them right through Samaria. But unless you had to get between the two places urgently, most Jews did not take that route. It was a dangerous road, and there were alternate routes. Most people went east on the other side of the River Jordan from Samaria. So when John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's not a geographical necessity. There doesn't seem to be an urgent reason for Jesus to get back to Galilee, ASAP. It's a theological necessity. He has to go to the Samaritans because what he has to offer is for them too. Jesus is crossing boundaries here, breaking through walls that have been set up, not just between two peoples who had long been enemies, but across gender lines and traditions as well. A Jewish man of that day would never engage in conversation with an unknown woman. A Jewish teacher of that day would not have a public conversation with a woman. So Jesus is breaking two norms. He's speaking openly with a woman who is not a member of his family, and he is engaging in conversation with a Samaritan. Jesus sits down by the well in the heat of the day. The woman approaches to draw water, which would have been a woman's task. And he asks her for a drink. She immediately addresses this breaking of convention. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus gets right to the point. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you living water. The woman doesn't understand what he's talking about. Of course she doesn't. Who would? She has no idea who he is or just what living water he's talking about. Living water has a double meaning. We know that Jesus is talking about life, the life of the Spirit, eternal life that gushes up in us and never runs dry. But living water also meant moving water rather than still water. Water in a cool stream, for example, rather than water held in a cistern. The woman, who remains unnamed, assumes Jesus is talking about this fresh, moving water. Why would she think anything else? She answers, addressing the matter practically, Sir, you have no bucket, 
and the well is deep. Exactly where is this living water? They're in a desert, remember? Water is not abundant. She would be well aware of the water sources. And then she starts to get theological. It's been really interesting to read commentaries over the last week written over the course of the last few decades. Some of them, the older ones, talk of the woman as though she is stubborn, rude, and not very smart, not to know what Jesus is talking about. Others, the more recent ones, point out that she engages in theological conversation with Jesus. Our ancestor Jacob gave us this well. Surely you can't be greater than Jacob. We, of course, know that Jesus is indeed greater than Jacob. We have the advantage of knowing what kind of water he's talking about. But how could she know that at this stage? Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Those who drink of the water I will give will never be thirsty. The water I will give will be a spring gushing up to eternal life. They are talking on two different levels. She is still focused on literal water, water she has to collect and carry every single day, water that is heavy. I learned just how heavy water is as I walked across France and Spain this fall. And I wasn't carrying anything like the amount these women had to haul every day from the well to their homes. She is eager to have this water. Give me this water, sir, so I will never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus switches the subject. <coughs> she doesn't get what he's talking about yet, so he's going to try and show her who he is another way by showing her that even though they are strangers, he knows her through and through, knows what her life has been like. Go call your husband and come back, he says. And she answers, I have no husband. He says, I know, you are right in saying that. You have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now we have to stop here and unpack centuries of bad interpretation. This woman has traditionally been understood to be a loose, immoral, shunned woman. Otherwise, why would she be here at the well by herself at the hottest time of day? And five husbands, and now you're with someone who's not your husband. Reputable, renowned scholars have written commentaries questioning her morality, talking about Jesus' forgiveness. None of that is in this story. There is no word of judgment here. There is no word or talk of sin or forgiveness. We don't know why she has had five husbands. We do know that in that society, she would have had little to no control over who she married or who divorced her. Her husbands could have died. She could have been in a Leverite marriage where she had to marry the brother of her deceased husband. She could have been abandoned. She may have had no way to support herself without a husband or at least without living with a man in that patriarchal society. So let's leave that baggage behind in considering this story.
Jesus isn't judging her. He's showing that he knows her. Without her telling anything about her life, Jesus knows her. The woman goes back to theology. Sir, I see you are a prophet. Since he is clearly a holy man of God of some sort, she goes right to the heart of what is dividing her people from Jesus' people. Our ancestors worshipped here on this mountain, but you say people must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus tries again to get across to her just who he is and what his coming among them means. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, where you worship is not what's important anymore. Your very life becomes worship. You worship anywhere and everywhere in spirit and in truth with your very being. And she's starting to get it. I know Messiah is coming, she says. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Could this man who has told her all about her life and is talking about a new way of worshiping be the Messiah? Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Except he didn't say, I am he, the way our English versions translate it. He said, I am. He uses the words that God uses to reveal God's self to the people. I am the one who's talking to you. And that is where we stop for today in this passage. But it's not the end of the story. The disciples arrive and are shocked to find Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. The woman runs back to her city and tells people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And so she becomes the first evangelist. What do we take from this story in this season of Advent? It is not one we would normally hear at this time of year. Let's think again about what is happening here. Jesus breaks through the boundaries of gender, ethnicity, and enmity to bring the word or the water of life to an outcast people. And he says this gift of water gushing up to eternal life is not just something for the future, not just something we're anticipating and waiting for, not something that is just for after we die or for when Jesus returns to make all things new. It's here among us now. He tells the woman the hour is coming and is now here. As one writer puts it, Jesus' presence changes the moment of anticipation into the moment of inbreaking. In other words, the wait is over. The season of Advent is about anticipating, looking towards, waiting for the coming of Christ, the fulfillment of God's reign. And yes, we are still waiting for that fulfillment for God's will to be fully done on earth as it is in heaven. But at the same time, that rain has broken into the present in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
The hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says. And that makes all the difference in the world in how we live our lives. We do not just live in anticipation of the life to come or the fulfillment of God's reign. We live with Jesus among us. We live with that spring of water gushing up to eternal life within us. Like Jesus, we are called to break through boundaries so that all people are able to know and experience that fullness of life. We don't just live for the future, we live for now. We pray for Christ to return, for the ultimate triumph of life and the fulfillment, the fullness of God's reign. And we live as those who know that reign has already broken into our world when Jesus came to earth and lived among us. We live as those working with Jesus as the body of Christ to break down dividing walls as Jesus did, to bring the word and the water of life to a thirsty, struggling world, to worship God through our very being and our daily living in the spirit and truth of Christ who fills us. Amen.